with are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, how far apart we are on so many things, how they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. It is disgusting. Shame on them. They stand on the wrong side of history at this very moment. We stand in solidarity, in unprecedented unity. Our union and our sister unions and the unions around the world are standing by us, as well as other labor unions. Because at some point, the jig is up. Rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Please don't aggregate this. Lillard, long range three. <laughs> Their defense is atrocious. I'm sort of the rock star. Right on the cowboy. People. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love no playing there. They come to dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? Bye. All right. Welcome back to the Rewindables. Uh, ben Kroc, Chris Mendelkin. We are here tonight. Uh... Ben. We're talking about movies, Chris. <laughs> Our favorite thing. Well, movies, baby. Films. Flicks. In a way. Going to the yeah. theater. Pulling, well. getting, some, getting a big bucket of popcorn and watching well. movies and talking about our favorite movies. We yeah. love movies. We lo- we're just so no! lucky right. and blessed, Chris, that we have a podcast no, where we get to please, talk about no, movies no, and how much yeah. we love them and no, even yeah. promote them uh, no, by name no. um, because <laughs> yeah. of how much right. we love them and we want to encourage all of our listeners to go out and spend their hard-earned money on no. these great movies that we love so much. Let's get yeah. into it. What are, we, what are we talking about? Which movie do we get well, to... Are we going to do more... <laughs> no. Should we talk about the... See. Right there. The 1992 MGM film. No, no. Should we no, talk about no. that? Okay, Great right film. Should we continue our, our discussion and our analysis of that wonderful movie? Or we could talk about other ones. Uh, no, I mean, don't listen, name any films. We've, we've, we've already gone down the rabbit hole of... Uh, <laughs> we could, yeah, I gotta we could, that. We could yeah. remind our, our listeners how much we love... This is the not fucking around uh, You know what's funny, Chris? Yeah. It occurred to me recently. We've never actually done a full deep dive of... Really, the founding movie of the Rewindables, uh, uh, one of our yeah. one of our all time sure. favorites. Really, the an awesome you know, movie the, that was the, bleeped. The Magna yep. Carta of, of the podcast, if you will. Um, yeah. You know, the, the movie that really started the whole uh, Boston Cinematic Universe. Right. Um, so many great films, uh, and we've got all the time in the world to talk about all of them. Well, Ben, unfortunately tonight uh, we're going to have to table uh, discussions about a certain ice skating movie that we've been discussing for the last month because... Wait, what? Yeah, I'm really sorry, man. I know you've sort of been consumed in work, um, but I don't know, yeah, how much you've been following the news, but there was actually um, a strike that was announced by... uh, 
uh, SAG-AFTRA, president of SAG-AFTRA, Fran Drescher, announced, um, I guess it's been two weeks now, we're about two weeks in, that um, the Actors Union, um, which I'm a part of, the Screen Actors Guild, is uh, at an impasse with the AMPTP, um, which is the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Film and Television Producers. You cannot keep being dwindled and marginalized and disrespected and dishonored. The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI. This is a moment of history that is a moment of truth. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We are all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines and big business. Who cares more about Wall Street than you and your family? Most of Americans don't have more than $500 in in an emergency. This is a very big deal and it weighed heavy on us. But at some point, you have to say, no, we're not going to take this anymore. You people are crazy. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Privately, they all say we're the center of the wheel. Everybody else tinkers around our artistry. But actions speak louder than words. And there was nothing there. It was insulting. So we came together in strength and solidarity and unity with the largest strike authorization vote in our union's history. And we made the hard decision that we tell you as we stand before you today, this is major, it's really serious, and it's going to impact every single person that is in labor. We are fortunate enough to be in a country right now that happens to be labor-friendly. And yet, we were facing opposition that was so labor-unfriendly, so tone-deaf to what we are saying. You cannot change the business model as much as it has changed and not expect the contract to change too. We're not going to keep doing incremental changes on a contract that no longer honors what is happening right now with this business model that was foisted upon us. What are we doing? Moving around furniture on the Titanic? It's crazy. So the jig is up, AMPTP. We stand tall. You have to wake up and smell the coffee. We are labor and we stand tall and we demand respect and to be honored for our contribution. You share the wealth because you cannot exist without us. Yeah, we couldn't agree on a contract. So uh, unfortunately, as I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA, I am forbidden um, from going on podcasts and promoting uh, struck work, which includes, unfortunately for us, Ben, film and television that was produced by um, any of the companies in that alliance of producers. And in the in the case of the ice skating movie, um, and I think we'll just you refer mean, to it as the ice skating you movie. You mean the maybe? Okay. 
Yeah. So again, that will just be bleeped. Um, but yeah, that is the aforementioned ice skating movie. Well, that I'm, was produced. Listen, I'm not striking, so I'm not going to oh. abide by any of those rules. Right. And frankly, I'm shocked. This is all Wait. shocking and 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 this very upsetting really, news to me. This is a really good point. So. Is it only bleeped if I say it? I'm not. We'll have to sort of figure this out. Uh, we'll have to figure all this go. out in post, I suppose. Yeah. But my question, Chris, is: Listen, you're you're a Hollywood actor, uh, which means, first of all, you're incredibly hot. You must first of be all, in I'm rolling in dough. You're yeah, famous, I'm incredibly well, and yeah, most importantly, you are wealthy from being yes. a Hollywood actor. I can't why go anywhere without the paparazzi. Would it's you? Immense. Why would you bite the hand that feeds you all of that fame and wealth? I don't. It just doesn't. That doesn't make any sense to me, Chris. You're. I'm looking out for the little guy. Basically, is the way it goes. Um, oh. Yeah, you know the thing is, Ben. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about Hollywood and Hollywood actors, and I think most people assume um, that everyone has it, like you know George Clooney and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the elites, yeah. um, you, you know, the rock. sort of, yeah, like uh, the, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise, pavement, pavement yeah. line with gold over here, uh, Affleck, uh, Damon, Wendell. Sure, sure, yeah. But the majority of our membership in uh, the union, which is 160,000 people, is actually having a hard time. Most mostly, these are not even just middle in- middle income people. These are lower income people. Um, these are people, many of whom are hovering around the poverty line. We're just kind of at the point where we're saying enough is enough. This is a multi-billion dollar industry, the film and television business, uh, the CEOs, the C-suites at all these film and television studios, specifically the streamers, are um, doing handsomely. They're doing very well. And um, there's a real disparity frankly, in the quality of their life and our life. And there's also a real disparity in terms of what we contribute to the film and TV and entertainment world and what they contribute to the film and TV and entertainment world. So we're at a strike and we won't be discussing the ice skating movie. Um, But Ben, we had this time scheduled and I know you were very... um, that you're very disappointed about not being able to talk about the ice skating movie. So <laughs> the floor is yours. If you want to ask any questions, I'm happy to, um, you know, make the most of your time. Um, yeah. I know you're disappointed here, Ben. So uh, anything I can answer for, answer for you, you know. Um, I am very disappointed. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and drop the the ignorance bit um, at this point after our, our fun little uh, cold open sketch there. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, obviously, you know, like this is a pretty crazy historic time. It's the first time uh, both the actors and writers are striking it uh, simultaneously since 1960. It is, um, you know, it's 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 funny for our personal little project here, which of course like does not really amount to a hill of beans in the grand scheme of things. Um, but yeah, as as listeners of ours, longtime listeners may like be aware we've you know we at one time were a mostly basketball podcast uh basketball you know focused uh the dribbles the dunks yeah we love the assists the dribbles we love the assists um <laughs> all those <laughs> all those great things yeah. we yeah. love our hoops um but but we've kind of caught the the movie bug in the past you know a few months i mean it's always kind of been a you know a low-lying uh love uh which has kind of you know bloomed and blossomed uh 
in recent times thanks to a couple of magical films, which I guess I'll just save you the trouble of bleeping uh, from here on out. Um, but yeah, so basically we're kind of like, obviously, you know, we're, we're following the news and, you know, we've made a few mentions already of the strike, um, you know, when we had Tony Gilroy on, of course, like that was um, at that point, the writers were striking, the actors had not, um, you know, voted yet. Um, but so this was all something that, that we've been aware of. And now it's kind of the point where we're like, yeah, I guess we need to like sort of think about um, sort of what message we want to put out to our listeners, kind of how we want it. Like, you know, we're not like, I don't know, we're, we're kind of just like, <laughs> I guess we'll just put our like, you know, behind the scenes, like planning and, uh, and like conversations like on the, on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, we were like talking today about like, okay, like what do we, what should we should like, so I don't know, like there's also like, whatever, well, we're going to have a conversation tonight about the strike. Also, like, I wanted to talk to you, Chris, about your personal experiences. Cause we are, yeah. well, we're unique in that we're like, uh, you know, a podcast about, uh, movies, but we also have an actual like actor, uh, and SAG after a union member as one of our co-hosts. So, um, and one who's actually like pretty intimately involved in, um, you know, the, the, labor movement in your industry and and pretty uh you know sort of read in on everything so yeah i thought it'd be cool to just kind of like talk about all of this and (laughs) kind of try to figure out in real time like what how how we want to um kind of respond to it as the little tiny uh you know product that we are but we're, we're obviously like if there's any question uh in anyone's mind you know we're on the side of the strikers of the uh you know the workers um the union um and so i don't know i guess where to begin like i'll ask like a couple like kind of dumb questions which i actually don't know the answer yeah. of because uh too because i'm uh you know not all like i you know whatever, I'm pretty well aware of how things are going currently, but I'm, you know, not a labor historian. Uh, Yeah. So basically, like, let's start with some, some, like, some very, very, like, simple basic stuff. Like, so the actors are all in a union. You said 170 or 160 plus thousand people. Um, You have a, and there are, you know, multiple unions in Hollywood. There's a writer's union, a director's union, uh, different unions for different, like, kind of, you know, parts of the industry. Um, But just speaking for the actors for this kind of episode, since that's the one that you are in. um, So they have a contract that is, is it always every three years that the contract uh, length is, because it it comes, is it, am I right that it comes up every three? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and the last time there was an actor strike was, or was the act? I know there was like the writer strike in oh seven oh eight. SAG-AFTRA represents one hundred and sixty thousand performers, and the union has not gone on strike against the film and TV industry since nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. Wow, that was the last 1980, one. Nineteen eighty, and the last time the actors and the writers were on strike simultaneously together was in nineteen sixty. But right. yeah, the last time that SAG was on strike, Ronald Reagan was our pre- was the president of SAG, and he. Oh wait, you mean of SAG? I thought you meant of like America. <laughs> he was the SAG president. No. 
of 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 yeah the president of SAG. <laughs> wow, I did not realize that. Wait, yeah. was he president of SAG when he was like governor of California? Not like because wait, in 1980 he was like running. Ronald, as you travel around the country now, not as an actor, but almost a representative uh, for your way of thinking as far as government policies are concerned. Do you um, you feel that maybe you've left something behind as far as acting career is concerned? Well, I, I hope not, uh, because frankly, I still think of myself as an actor and a wannabe. And um, I don't know, there, do, there doesn't seem to be too much of it, as long as I can get acting jobs. Ronald Reagan served as the president of SAG from 1947 to 1952. And in the 50s, he was working as uh, in, in TV and um, and and I guess he was like a spokesman for General Electric. Well, you don't seem to be doing too badly here on GE Theater. We see you uh, every week here on TV Eight. Yes, I understand that. Uh, we just learned recently that uh, after eight long years, the uh, normal sponsor itch set in, and so uh, this is the last season for GE Theater. Well, what do you have in mind past that time? I don't know. I've been in the nest so long. I'm still blinking in the sunlight <laughs> now, and uh, I do find I'm I'm getting kind of a kick. Uh, out of looking around and seeing um, the different courses that are available. And mm. then from 1959 to 1960, he served as SAG's president again. And Wild. that was when the 1960 was when SAG and um, the WGA right. struck together. Right. And it was during that strike that Reagan landed historic gains for us, including residuals, residuals wow. on on film and TV. Yeah. It was just like the be- the beginning of residual payments, but it was it was really historic, which is like wild to think when you consider where his politics ended yeah. 20 years later when he <laughs> what an arc. Became, <laughs> Holy shit. Right. When he became I had no idea he was a sa- he was a union president. That's fucking yep. wild. This morning at 7 a.m. the union representing those who man America's air traffic control facilities called a strike. This was the culmination of seven months of negotiations between the Federal Aviation Administration and the Union. At one point in these negotiations, agreement was reached and signed by both sides, granting a $40 million increase in salaries and benefits. This is twice what other government employees can expect. It was granted in recognition of the difficulties inherent in the work these people perform. Now, however, The union demands are 17 times what had been agreed to, $681 million. This would impose a tax burden on their fellow citizens, which is unacceptable. I would like to thank the supervisors and controllers who are on the job today, helping to get the nation's air system operating safely. In the New York area, for example, four supervisors were scheduled to report for work and 17 additionally volunteered. At National Airport, a traffic controller told a newsperson he had resigned from the union and reported to work because, quote, how can I ask my kids to obey the law if I don't, end quote. This is a great tribute to America. Let me make one thing plain. I respect the right of workers in the private sector to strike. Indeed, as president of my own union, I led the first strike ever called by that union. I guess I'm maybe the first one to ever hold this office, who is a lifetime member of an AFL-CIO union. But we cannot compare labor management relations in the private sector with government. Government cannot close down the assembly line. 
It has to provide without interruption the protective services which are government's reason for being. It was in recognition of this that the Congress passed a law forbidding strikes by government employees against the public safety. Wow. Well, yeah, so there you the go. Franz Rusher, the there is, uh, you know, you might have some. Uh, you might, might Quite have a some, legacy. Yeah. 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 So the last, time, the last time SAG and the WGA struck was 1960. Ronald Reagan was the president. This is the first time they have struck again. And it's, yeah, 2023. And Fran is at the helm. Fran Drescher is now our president. And um, we. You know, I will say, I think there was, I don't want to speak for anyone other than myself, but I think there was like some uncertainty as to how she would handle the negotiations and how Mm -hmm. it would go. And the majority of membership has really supported her and has been very happy with her, um, with her performance in terms of she gave this rousing speech at a press conference announcing the strike. And I yeah, think that was an really, incredible speech. It really galvanized people. I, yeah. think, I think people like myself felt heard and seen and it felt like, okay, we actually have a leader. Like we have someone that is fighting the fight for us. We have someone that understands what's happening here. And she's not like half-assing it. And she understands the struggles that the majority of our membership are dealing with. So, yeah. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, the, the vote to authorize the strike was something like 98% yes, which was like the most, like the most in history for that union. Um, It was like an overwhelming 90, like 98% vote yes to authorize the strike and also critically most (laughs) most unions like our country most people don't vote in elections you know Mm. most people in our country when there is a presidential election local elections people just don't vote and it's the same with unions because i think people for a variety of reasons like don't understand how unions work they just sort of assume a lot of people just myself included i don't want to pretend like i've been some active union member before the past year I think most people assume like, well, everyone who's in this union is like me. They have politics like me. They probably have pretty similar values to me. So what am I really going to vote for? Like how different could any of these people really be? Also, mm. I'm busy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm busy. Bu- I'm busy. Like I, as I have multiple- someone who is like lightly participated in, in as a union member, I'm actually a member of WGA technically f- through my, you know, newsroom union. Um, mm-hmm. WGA East. Um, I'm not a nego- uh, on the negotiating committee, but I tried to be pretty involved in our last negotiation, which was last year. And the fact is that shit is a full-time job. Like the people oh, yeah. that do that do it for months at a time. And those meetings and those documents that are written and those interviews and meet and just that shit takes so much goddamn time. And guess what? You're not paid for it. Um, yeah. And it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like I said, I I don't pretend like I've been some active union member before this past year, but the, the strike authorization, uh, I think. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It's, uh, 65,000 members cast ballots. 65,000? For a voting percentage of 47.69 of eligible voters. Um. Yeah. Great. Yes, 97.91 60. in favor of a strike authorization ahead of negotiations. So basically, like, that's, like, so that, well, whatever, we don't need to get too into the weeds of, like, 
what a vote a vote of authorization doesn't actually mean. You're striking. You vote to you know basically have that at your disposal before you head into negotiations, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, so 65,000 people of our uh, from our 160,000 person union voted. Uh, just that level of participation is historic. Consider that I think in the last election for president, like when Fran Drescher was elected, mm. like 20 or 25,000 people voted. Yeah. So like basically three times as many people were like activated yeah. about the issues uh, related to this contract and the potential of a strike. They cared more about that than even like who was elected president of the union. Um, so it just sort of puts in perspective like how, uh, you know, on a razor's edge, people are about these issues here. Yeah, yeah. And how they're, everyone's, it's, it seems like there's a very, like, sort of sudden and collective realization like, oh, this is actually, like, a tipping point. Like, this is... This is a, the future of our profession. I yeah. mean, there, there, there's simply no other way to put it than like <laughs> I this know that every single goddamn, uh, you know, presidential candidate says this is the most important election of our lifetime. But uh, yeah, the fact is that like this doesn't happen every four years. Uh, yeah. This is. Um, and, the, and, the, and the thing I've learned um, is that <laughs> in contract negotiations, when, when you were like, yeah, so there's just going to be another contract in three years and three years after that. What I've learned is, and I'm sure you know a thing about this, is like once you give something up in a, in a, a negotiation, yeah. you don't ever get that back. Yeah. So you're just kind of clawing for it back. Yep. So for instance, uh, the actors made a calculated mistake years ago when um, streaming video was introduced and <laughs> they... Um, Basically, the tech companies said, like, this is not even a real thing. Like, let's just let's just like get you guys short up on TV residuals. Don't worry about like the streaming online video thing like that. That's not even here yet. Um, Let's settle like let's wait three years. Let's wait six years. And once we have like a real understanding of what that business looks like, then we can sort of talk about it. Well, guess what? Like literally the next day. Um, I, I heard something that like literally the next day after we signed our contract, Hulu was open. Like these yeah. companies were like waiting, yeah. <laughs> like waiting with bated breath to get our signature on a contract. It was like contract. the day after it was signed. They were like, okay, right. boom, Hulu's here. Awesome. Now <laughs> yeah. we're in business. Like yeah. now you guys are totally fucking screwed. Yeah. Um, so once you give up something in a negotiation, you don't really get it back. And I think, you know, there are issues in this contract. Everyone talks about AI that it's like, this is the moment. Now is the moment. Like we either get protection around this now or we give it away forever. And once we give this one away, we're talking about obliterating the jobs of more than half of our union. Yeah. So I guess I'd like to, I'd love to like take a step back and, uh, I mean, this is in a way like <laughs> obviously, like when you go on a strike, you strike in order to not have to strike. Um, it is a drastic measure. No one fucking wants to do it uh, because guess what? You don't work and you don't get paid uh, if you don't work. Um, but there are silver linings to strikes. Um, especially if you win concessions uh, through those strikes, uh, of course, uh, like, you know, most importantly. But the sort of second silver lining is that you get to 
talk about uh, why people are striking. And there is like yeah. a sudden level of engagement and attention put on issues that otherwise people are way too busy uh, to care about. Uh, and it's not that interesting. And um, so, you know, like, again, you hope that you would never have to do this in order, you know, you don't, you don't want it to come to this point. Um, but in a way, like, it's a, it's an opportunity to, to educate people, uh, including yourself. Um, and yeah. And for us, like, it's kind of a, a weird excuse in a way for me to like ask you, Chris, uh, something that we've never really talked about on this podcast since it was a basketball podcast when we first, you know, conceived of it. Um, or when you first conceived of it, since I uh, was, uh, for a long time, a, uh, <laughs> you know, frequent or, uh, uh, you know, occasional guest. Anyway, um, yeah, you're an actor. Um, what's that like? You're, you have a, you know, like, I, I don't know, like, a, tell me, like, how you got started and why you became an actor, why you wanted to do it, how you st- were able to start doing it, and how it's been as a career. It's my favorite thing. Uh, it's something that I've been doing since I was eight years old, just performing in you know the school play in my elementary school which led to working in community theaters which led to me uh working in off broadway and off off broadway theaters in new york as a kid which led me to getting involved with all sorts of programs during high school taking acting classes doing high school forensics, competing and all that stuff. High school forensics, what's that? Speech and debate. Oh, got it. Yeah, I know people always hear that. They're like, wait, like you were like CSI? (laughs) Yeah, you were working at Cold Case? All right, cool. No, 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 speech and debate. (laughs) Got it. And then, yeah, then from there, I um, got accepted to NYU to study acting, uh, our, our alma mater, where you studied film. I actually did not study film. I studied journalism, but I only hung out with film kids because journalism Wait. is for nerds. You studied journalism at <laughs> yeah. NYU? Yeah, dude. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah, like literally all of my friends were in Tish. Uh or like a couple like ran, random people like roommates that were in like uh, stern business for some reason. Uh, yeah, that's so funny. I mean, yeah. of I mean, of course it. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, y- you've worked at journalism jobs, so of course. Yeah, like, you but I'm also not uh, actually like, a when I think I just of you, make video, dumb internet videos mostly. Not brilliant. You're oh, whatever, a whatever. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're a brilliant filmmaker, so that's why when you say I'm, a, I, I study journalism, like, but right. like you're literally one of the most talented filmmakers and editors I have ever known. Wow, it's well, insane! Thank you, it's insane that your background that you studied journalism. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, mean, I pivoted to video you. early on. You know, I saw the writing on the wall, and I, then I said, yeah. "I'm getting out of that fucking business." <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, so I so I studied acting at NYU, and um, a lot of uh, most most of what I did in school was theater, studying plays, Shakespeare, Edward Albee, Tennessee Williams, uh, you know Harold Pinter, all all these like great playwrights. And when I finished school, I was mostly doing off Broadway theater in New York, and I finally made got a few my, short films. Yeah, made some short films. Yeah. yeah, made some short films, and. I got a f- my first TV job, which 
made me SAG eligible was uh, a co-star on Law and Order SVU, and um, oh yeah, dude, and that was that was great. That was really that was really fun. It was like a really big uh, thing, for, you know, like your first TV thing. And what's funny is that so you you become SAG eligible. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that to join the union. You need to pay union. You need to pay an initiation fee of several thousand dollars. Right. So, right. You know, I was. What What is it really like being an actor? Like, especially in your twenties, it's like I'm working five different cater waiter jobs. Mm-hmm. I'm performing. Shout in, out restaurant associates. Restaurant <laughs> associates. I'm performing in basements in the East Village. I'm doing performance art pieces in uh, Midtown East in at Shashama, which was mm. this. Um, performance art space i was you know what was that one theater uh now i'm trying to blank on the name uh like you and like lustic definitely performed there but i'm forgetting the name of it now but you know where it it was uh, i want to say midtown ish but what the tank uh, I don't think so. I don't know. I'll find it somewhere okay. and text it to you like five hours from now. Um, yeah. but, um, but yeah, that, that, that's what like being a young developing actor basically is, is, um, you know, having multiple jobs and, uh, maintaining your flexibility, um, mm-hmm. working several different temp jobs. I was temping at Condé Nast for years and years, just like floating between, magazines and corporate like you know desks where hey so-and-so is you know gone for four days to take a vacation and can you sit at their desk and answer phones and i'm between uh plays or you know my Mm -hmm. rehearsals are in the evening so i could make it work and you know that's what that's what being an actor largely is is sort of making your craft and your art like your the focal point of your life and trying to subsist, you know, with these, right, with right. these jobs on the side. And, um, yeah. Uh, and now, so joining, like getting into, or becoming eligible for SAG, uh, much like Doug Dorsey became eligible for Nationals uh, in the fantastic 1992 film uh, Redacted. It's different, like, so, because I've, I've, you know, read about how or listen to podcasts about how like if you're a background actor you need a certain number of hours or a certain number of projects uh that you're actually cast for a certain number of lines i know obviously there's different like pay structures and stuff depending on like how many lines you have or things scenes you appear in or whatever but for the svu role that you landed like it was big enough that like just that first job yeah. got you eligible but i know for like if it was a smaller role or just a background appearance you that alone wouldn't have gotten it you'd need like multiple yeah. auditions and multiple acceptances to you know four different roles um to actually again get the privilege of paying more money out of your pocket to be a member of a union yeah it's this like weird thing that it, it the same conundrum exists with actors equity which is the stage actors union which is like everyone is aspiring to be in an equity production of, of a play. Everyone is aspiring to be in a SAG-AFTRA production of a film or TV show. And the only way to get into said union is basically to be a non-union person who is chosen by one of the insiders to be saying like, you, I want you, you're good enough. 
we're going to pull you into this inner circle. Mm. You're now eligible to join the union. You will have to, at some point, pay a lump sum, uh, at which point you can start paying your dues. And, you know, if you make enough money, uh, if you make enough SAG-related income, you can earn things like retirement and benefits, mm-hmm. health and pension. Healthcare, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I'm sure it varies from, like, different television productions, film productions, but, like, obviously, like, most of the actors, like, most of the major actors that are involved uh, working are, you know, union members, but then is it, like, a certain percentage of every cast that is allowed to be non-union? Is it just, like, kind of a willy-nilly, like, whatever the, the casting director decides? Uh I know, like, for, like, different crew and stuff, like, it's like, oh, well, this is a non-union job, so we can work longer hours. Like, that's cool for, you know, uh, you know, run-and-gun filmmaker or whatever, uh, guerrilla filmmaker. But, you know, if it's, like, a, a network production, obviously, or something like that, it's a, you know, union job all the way, but then it's, like, some, there's a mix of union and non-union. Yeah. I can't speak too much to some of the specifics about that, but I do know that... On a union film, for instance, there is a percentage of, I think, background actors that you are allowed to cast non-union, but mm. it's like a a negotiated like percentage. Mm. And all of the leading players, anyone with a speaking role, anyone who's talking and has like lines on, on camera is a unionized performer. Got it, got it. I guess, like, what made you want to become an actor? Did you have role models just like a a teacher a coach did you just see a you know a a tom cruise movie and said that's me i'm gonna be the next maverick like how did how did it work no i was um i was kind of a shy kid i had a friend who was auditioning for a school play like elementary school and so i just did it too and I realized that I had this sort of like, um, it's like, it sounds so cheesy and it's maybe cliche, but it's like a little bit like putting on the Superman cape or something where you suddenly realize you have this like power where you can like sort of be a different person mm. and sort of leave the old person behind momentarily. Be yeah, like, like putting a costume on on Halloween and suddenly you're like, oh, I can kind of do whatever I want. I'm not the shy person anymore. I'm actually this person in a mask. And mm. now I have these sort of, I have like the freedom to be this whole other alter ego. And I yeah, can be- it gives you permission to be like, not yourself. What and whoever that person is, big and silly and funny, dramatic, whatever you know, explore all these sort of alter egos. Mm. And that was like at a very, I mean, I, I, I think I was like eight or nine years old um, wow. when I sort of discovered that. So I kind of very quickly understood that's who I was and that's something that I loved. And I, at different points during my like teenage years, was like, is there something else I can do? Is there something else that I love? And I would try other things and I realized like, no, this is really who I am. Like, this is like fundamentally at my core who I am as this person. And the more I started working as a kid with professionals and adults in professional, like, you know, plays and stuff, the more I realized like, one, I was good. I I was like actually really good. And two, I loved, um, the version of myself that I was when I was around these people 
And three, the other kids that I would perform with, I, those were my best friends. Like mm. those were the people who I felt like these are the people who I relate to the most, more so than my school classmates. Yeah. Um, you found your tribe. Yeah, that was my tribe, 100%. So then as you got older and, you know, you obviously like gave it a go as like a career, like what was it like trying to... Like, what is the actual existence of, like, auditioning and, like, doing all that stuff as, you know, someone who's not in the top 10 earners in Hollywood? <laughs> uh, like, what are the struggles? What are the joys? What are the, like, what was some of the f- most fun stuff you worked on? What was, like, I don't know, if you f- f- want to yeah. talk about, like, your low points or whatever. I think that you really have to develop a very thick skin and you have to sort of get comfortable with not even just rejection, but you just have to sort of get comfortable and accepting of the idea that like most things aren't going to be right for you. Hmm. You know, it's almost kind of like finding a partner in life. It's like if everyone you meet would be someone like, Oh, I could marry this person. I can marry it. It would just sort of be like, well, this doesn't feel right. You know? Hmm. So I think once you sort of, wrap your head around the idea that like, this is going to take some time. This is not going to be easy. And I'm in this kind of for the long haul and for the right reasons. And, um, there are very few quick success stories, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and oftentimes those, a lot of the friends I had from college who got work instantly left the business very quickly. Really? Yeah. It wasn't always like the best story. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, I worked and I just decided I hated it. So I left. A lot of it was like, I immediately booked this major thing. And then it got really hard after that. And personal problems started happening. And I felt real, you know, people get depressed and Mm. um, people have financial, major, major financial hardships. People can't figure out ways to make money that allow you to stay creatively fertile and open. Hmm. I was always very clear with myself that was like, I'm not going to be one of the people that is an overnight success. And I'm cool with that. My objective, my goal will, and has always been to be, I don't mean to say like a journeyman actor, but like, yeah, like I want to be a journeyman actor. Like I, I, like my, my, my goal was never like to be a famous person. My goal was never to be, a household name not that i would object to that if that if that ever happened but my goal was always just to make great work make memorable work make an impression make a difference in the world that i lived in and hopefully to make a living in in the process of doing that but also i was comfortable with the idea that like you might not make a living doing this too like mm. that is part of what being an artist can involve too like is that do you love this thing so much that it might mean that like for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years 40 years you might be earning most of your income doing something else mm-hmm. while you pursue this creative thing that you love. And yeah. for me, the answer was always like, yeah, of course, like that. I'm very comfortable being that person. Um, and there are stories about all sorts of people who, you know, 
John Hamm famously did, like didn't work for year. Like John Hamm really couldn't get a job until until his forties. So John, we were just thinking back to the beginning for you of Mad Men, right? Which was circa what, what year was that? Uh, thank you. Um, Mad Men aired. We shot the pilot in two thousand five, and it aired in two thousand six. And people must still come up to you all the time, just talking about big fans. I like a, a lot of people watch it during the pandemic. A lot right. of people like rediscovered it or recently or, or discovered it during the pandemic, uh, including people that I've worked with for years who I thought had actually <laughs> seen my work. I, I'm yeah. wondering, would you even be able to? Make make that show now because of all the smoking. Now smoking cannot. I don't know, you know, I mean, here we are in, in, in the, the world of the golden age of content. I think it, it would probably find a home. It was, uh, it was definitely a, a moment in time. We may have talked about it, but remind me, you were working in Venice at a, uh, were, you, were you waiting tables down there? I was waiting, I was waiting tables, and in fact, I was waiting tables Before. with one of the guys who ended up being in the pilot of Mad Men, and then play, played Lee Garner Jr., one of the Where did you guys work? 72 Market Street, which was owned by really? Tony Bill and Dudley Moore. And Dudley would come in oh, before he passed away and play the piano. Oh, wow. It was, that was like, this is, this is Hollywood. This, this is, is happening. Like, yeah. This is, you know. Yeah, that's kind of wild. He like just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Right. And it really, he really needed... I mean, I'm sure he would say like he needed to go on a certain journey. But the reality is also that um, he was just someone that like needed to basically look 40. And like once he like, <laughs> basically like once, yeah. I mean, I mean, he always Sometimes was that, just, he, yeah. <laughs> he was always that talented. Like it was, it's not like when he was 20, he was an untalented person and then yeah. he 40 and he suddenly became capable of being the lead of a TV show. Yeah. It's just he uh and and I'm oversimplifying it of course because it's like you need the convergence of a lot of incredible things you need oh, sure. an, an amazing script you need great producers directors you need a ton of luck you need representatives that believe in you you need to be in the right place at the right time you need to have booked certain roles before that that cedar, that sort of even put you in the conversation but ultimately I bet John Ham might say like you know in a lot of ways, I just kind of needed to look 40. And then someone wrote this script and he got an opportunity for a network that hadn't had any sort of hit and was AMC. They were trying to break into TV and they could take a chance on someone that was like not a household name and the rest is history. So there are lots of stories about people who bartend for years and years and years and they're they're fine with that. You know, it's not like uh, that's part of the deal. You know? Right. And the fact is you're able to say that you succeeded in getting that first job on SVU in what, like early 2000s, mid 2000s? Yeah. Do you remember the exact year? I don't know if you want to date yourself, but like right after. 2009. Okay. Yeah. And you have continued working until like, this year, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, actually, this was the busiest year of my career, actually, as far as <laughs> film and TV goes. So there you go. Why are you striking, Chris? Things are going great for you. Like, this is, again, right. biting the hand that feeds you, spoiled <laughs> diva behavior. The fact is that you've been, in, like, literally, like, you know, working in the industry for 15-ish years. Uh, so you must have actually, like, ha have you seen it actually... Like your conditions change as like the the treatment yeah. of an act of a working actor. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think, uh, I, and I don't want to um, make this like exclusively about 
acting and and the conditions of oh acting, yeah I think. of course like if it's not clear to everyone like this is it, yeah most it, people in this trend. country yeah most people in this country have noticed the conditions of their workplace deteriorate over the last 15 to 20 years mm-hmm. and like most people um i think for me the biggest marker was covid um was yeah that laid it all bare yeah like everyone in the world, we all started working from home and uh, actors too. And when, you know, the, the, the theater industry basically came to a halt um, during COVID, obviously, because there were no in-person events happening, live events happening, but the film and TV industry eventually resumed with a, with a lot of testing, COVID protocols and stuff like that. But where we felt the hit as an actor was um, all auditions were done from home. Like mm. everyone, mm-hmm. like everyone during the pandemic was working from home. We would work from home too. Um, and most casting offices just closed, you know, people left their, their offices and auditions were filmed at home, you know, casting, Directors, producers, producers realized, hey, actually, we can just offset all these expenses and all these, you know, the inconveniences of this stuff to actors at home and mm-hmm. actually utilize their free labor for us and um, as a cost cutting measure. Like, why would we? So you're why saying. Would we have office space why would we have you know at, at, a, at an audition i don't know how much you know about an audition but when you come in there's there's someone in a waiting room at the casting office you go into the room there's a casting director sometimes there's a casting assistant mm-hmm. there's someone operating the camera then there's a reader that you're mm-hmm. reading a scene with so there's you know i don't know between four and six people running a casting office at an audition yeah all those people are now not eliminated, but they are removed from the equation of an audition because all of that, all of those expenses for actors have been offset. And now actors <laughs> um, have basically become people who edit their own auditions. Yeah. They are responsible for finding a reader. They're responsible for professionally lighting their auditions, mm. editing their auditions. Yeah, it turns out you might need a camera too. I don't know how that, probably, how yeah. uh, filming an audition works, but I think a, a, a some sort of a video camera device is probably required yep, for yep. that. You're going to need a camera for that. Yeah. So there, you know, the, 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 the work environment has changed a lot in the last 20 years. Um, auditions are just one, uh, element of that. I would say also the business of film and TV has drastically changed with the emergence of streamers. Mm -hmm. Um, and the model for actors being compensated has totally changed. Um, because the contract that we negotiated was based on a model of compensation that was for basically just terrestrial cable TV. Mm -hmm. And so when streaming video became a thing, we were told like, Hey, you know, this is, let's not worry about this yet. Like we'll, 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 we'll get into the specifics of this down the road. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) we were of course completely, hoodwinked and taken advantage of yeah and it's very deliberately left in the dark um, left in the dark and now that of course is like the 
very clearly the future of the business is streaming video on demand yeah. and ad supported video on demand. And I, I would, I would say, Ben, the big shift in the TV business has been, and I'm, I, I think you probably know all about this, like working in media is there has been a fundamental shift between legacy media companies and the emergence of tech giants mm -hmm. entering the space. Mm -hmm. And that is like what these companies are when you think about who the streamers are. It's Netflix, it's Amazon Prime, it's, you know, Microsoft has platforms, it's Apple TV, mm -hmm. um, Hulu, these are... Disney Plus, yeah. Disney Plus. Fundamentally, these are more and more our, our tech companies. Yeah. They're not traditional TV companies. Right. So they are disrupting the space and they are disrupting our compensation model and they are not thinking about this like a traditional TV studio. They are not thinking about our contracts the same way Viacom or NBCU would negotiate with us. They are thinking about this like, hey, we're am I'm Jeff Bezos and Amazon or I'm Tim Cook and Apple. We make iPhones. <laughs> And laptops, this like TV thing that we do, that's like a fun side project, basically. So they are not um, in a big rush to negotiate a fair deal with us. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't have to. It's kind of wild. I literally only uh, found out, I think, was it today or yesterday that we were texting? And you told me that the uh, wonderful distribution company of the 1992 film uh, that we love so much, the uh, redacted. Yes, skating film. Um, the distribution company for that for that film was uh, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, a, f a famous Hollywood MGM. titan, MGM, the Roaring Lion, yeah. which in the year 2022 was purchased by Amazon. Didn't realize that <laughs> until... Yeah. I didn't either. Like yesterday, <laughs> MGM. I didn't, dude, I didn't realize it until I texted MGM you. I was like, hey, so. Holdings is, is now owned by Amazon since March yeah. 17th of 2022. Yeah. Um, go figure. Uh, wow. Great. Good, amazing acquisition, Jeff. Big Proud time of you. That's a huge, yeah. that's a huge get. Got the Roaring Lion, man. That's uh, that's a big one. Um, I'm sure you're going to have a plenty of big old library of, um, of, of great movies to, uh, to stream on your, on your um, tech platform. Very happy for Jeff. One last thing, Ben, you were asking about like how like the business has changed in the last 20 years. I will say that, you know, we're talking a lot about compensation as it relates to benefits through the union. So uh, there are 160,000 members of our union in order to qualify for healthcare in our union, in a in, in a uh, in in the period of a year, you have to earn twenty six thousand dollars of SAG related income. Right, eighty seven percent of our union does not earn twenty six thousand dollars. Eighty seven percent doesn't have health care because they can't earn that much money doing their job. Yeah, and take it a step further. Just <laughs> that's like eighty seven percent of our union. Yeah. I actually, I'm not as shocked. Oh. Like I heard that number like recently. So I, otherwise my, I would be like making such a louder ruckus right now because I, yeah. when I first heard that, I like nearly like drove off the road. I was yeah. like that. I mean, I knew it was bad, but 87%. 87% of our union does not earn more than $26,000 in SAG income. 
But to be fair, they live in Los Angeles, which is a very affordable or New York city yep. or New yeah. York, um, yeah. which you know you so, can easily get by on that much. Uh, another way to think about this is then also okay. So eighty-seven percent of one hundred and sixty thousand people are all m- many of whom you will recognize from the shows you watch yeah. on Netflix and who Yeah, these aren't background actors. No. These many, are like many of these people yeah. are names that people are, know. Are, are are working multiple multiple jobs. Hit shows. On hit shows. Yeah. Uh, there were, there was an article just the other day in the New Yorker about the cast of Orange is the New Black. Yeah. That was Kimiko Glenn who p- played Brooke Soso on Netflix's Orange is the New Black. She earned just $27 on that residual check. You saw it there. Her frustration being echoed by many of her co-stars, Leah Delaria telling The New Yorker, I get $20. I would love to know how much money did Ted Sarandos make last year? Well, here's the answer. Sarandos, who's the CEO of Netflix, according to the company's financial s- statements last year, he received $20 million in base salary, more than $50 million if you include the stock and the options and bonuses. Emma Miles, another Orange is the New Black alum, told The New Yorker, when you're a kid, you have this idea. Once I'm on something that people actually see, I'll be rich. And you'll look around after being on that hit show and you're like, wow, I'm still in the same one-bedroom apartment. Was this how it's supposed to be? Now, Emma Miles and Leah Delaria join me now. Emma, (laughs) can you explain to the audience, first of all, what, what are residual checks, right? What are they supposed to be? Uh, And what does that financially look like for you once you've been on a show like Orange is the New Black? Okay. Well, in terms of how our business works, residuals typically are paid out for network, cable, um, movies, and they're basically a share of the profits that come from the the revenue from being on a network. So there's a lot of advertisement. There's a lot of money that comes with that. Um, so the residuals for network is they're a lot, lot higher, like much higher. And we have certain um, bases in our contract that say that they have to be at a certain percentage. They have to be calculated that way. Now, in terms of residuals for orange, we were not based off of network and cable. We were off, we were based off of this new thing called streaming, which basically didn't exist when we started the show. So the contract that we had reflected, um, like webisodes and web series and things that were on YouTube and promotional videos. And, um, the, the way that those residuals are calculated We are actually not sure because um, for the millions upon millions of dollars in revenue that these companies, these streaming companies particularly, are raking in, there's not really much of a kickback for any of the people involved on the creative side. So for something like an episode of Law & Order SVU that you would have gotten um, like a a good like several thousand dollars from it re-airing on television, there's... you get about, I don't know, $20 for people to be able to watch Orange, all five seasons of Orange in perpetuity. And and that's a pretty big discrepancy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the number of people watching on streaming services is sort of like a black box. The 
streamers don't necessarily want transparency about that. Uh, but, but Leah, you said that there was this accidental moment of clarity from Netflix CEO Ted Sarandos because he compared Orange is the New Black, which was a groundbreaking show in so many ways, to the other hit show, Game of Thrones. Uh, what did that tell you? Well, we were all at a party when uh, when Ted said that, that we were bigger than Game of Thrones. And uh, we were all it was, a, you know, we were a very t- tight knit cast. We hung out a lot and we were all kind of hanging out together. And he made that statement. And it was a complete aha moment for everyone at that party. We all just looked at each other. And of course, give me the money. Where's the money? <laughs> I'm still I'm still living in my Bushwick apartment. You know, these were people, heartbreaking stories. These were people who like, I don't mean to say like built the Netflix platform, but like they yeah. were, they were yeah, Netflix's first hit show, right? Yeah. Like think about how many people explicitly signed up to become a member of Netflix to watch Orange is the New Black. Yeah. And because the contract that they negotiated with this like brand new Netflix streaming, you know, this brand new service, they they basically gave Netflix a discount. And because of that, um, the majority of the cast of that TV show who entertained us for years and years and years could not leave their day jobs, could not leave their studio or one bedroom apartments. I've, I, you'll read stories about like there were actors who had a 5, 6 a.m. call on set out at Kaufman Astoria Studios in, in Queens who couldn't afford a cab ride, like couldn't, af- couldn't afford the cab fare. And so, you know, they would take the subways and of course they're very recognizable people. You know, the, the, these are quote unquote celebrities, right? These, these are the characters you love from the shows that you watch. Mm-hmm. And yet many of them are also juggling multiple bartending jobs yeah. or they're, they're, um, yeah, paralegals or parale- yeah, yeah. Many of them are paralegals at, at law firms or, or working, you know, like admin jobs in offices. And it's just, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's always been a business where people bend over backwards to make it happen. It's just now more than ever, it's people are bending in ways that, we are now breaking because like w- you can only be so much of a contortionist before yeah. the human body actually breaks. And the, the change, the change in the compensation model really was about the streamers basically paying us cents on the dollar. You know, when you when so when my episode of law and order SVU from 2009 airs on TV and there are reruns on it, I get a check right. and residuals. Um, yeah. I get residuals. Yeah. And I should stress that these are not like huge checks. These are not life altering checks. These are not checks where you could make, you know, your, your, your rent for a year. You're not covering your rent usually even for the month. Um, Sometimes I'll get a $30 check. Sometimes I'll get a check for a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or whatever it is, but they're checks and they add up and they help. And with the streaming services, it's, it's literal cents on the dollar cents on the dollar. And, um, yeah, I learned about this, uh, this, this phenomenon recently called wage invasion. Chris, are you familiar with this term? I am. 
I'm, I would love a, a quick primer. Um, first of all, great name, uh, fantastic branding. But what exactly is Wage Invasion and how does, how does that work? It is absolutely insanity. The idea that they are hiding your future residuals in your initial compensation. So they are basically saying, hey, uh, you know, we're going to pay you your ask of $50,000, say, but 10 or 15 grand of that is going to be you borrowing against your future residuals. We're just going to collect, we're just going to, if you're asking for 50 grand, sure, but we're going to take that out of what you would have been paid in the future. So these performers who are thinking they're getting their quote, they don't know that they're actually getting an advance against their future residuals, which they will depend on when they're not on a show or not on a film to get them through the lean times. Um, that's been an incredibly frustrating issue because Sometimes agents are commissioning that, which if it had been paid as residuals, not all residuals are commissionable. So we are fighting to reduce the amount of someone's initial compensation that can be an advance payment of residuals. So we've seen a lot of people post one cent checks, two cent checks, three dollar checks, which are what their residuals have been reduced to. But in some cases, people are not getting residuals at all, sometimes for years, because all of those residuals they would have gotten, they were paid and that was disguised in their initial compensation and their salary. We were able to limit that percentage to 15% for Netflix only. In the uh, rest of our television and film contracts with our other employers, there is no limit. All there is, is there is a certain amount that they can't invade. If you could get rid of that, your payment would just by definition go up by 35, 40% on every job. Sarah, is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, also, This is another area where we're not even saying stop doing this completely. We are just, which I think a lot of everybody on this call probably would have liked to say, end this practice entirely. Our proposal is just limiting the amount that they can do it. And another aspect of it is saying, you have to pay us the, our advance paid residuals, quote unquote, in a separate check, like you do with every other residual, so that our members know what amount of their payment is residuals and so that their representatives see that so that our members can advocate for themselves and say, excuse me, this isn't commissionable. This wasn't part of my initial compensation. These are my residuals that if I'd gotten them later, you wouldn't have commissioned. Um, and also, I just wanted to flag that we have given this uh, a great name. It's called Wage Invasion. Instead of saying you're going to get $50,000 for this job, yeah. and once people start watching it, you'll get residual checks. What they're saying is you're going to get $50,000 for this job, but 20 of that $50,000 is your residual fund. So once you've earned $20,000 of residuals, um, then we'll actually start paying you residual checks. Okay. But how, so it's, I'm guessing it, are they keeping track of all that or is it on the actor or the actor's oh. representatives to keep track of all that? Cause that seems like a very exactly. difficult thing to track. It's impossible. Cause it might to track. take a very long time to make that much money in residuals. It's impossible to track. Um, yes, the actors are supposed to keep track of all of this. And if you don't, <laughs> how would an actor know, know exactly you would how not, many times dude, a TV show is watched in the future on any platform or channel? So here's the problem with this whole notion, Ben, <laughs> is that 
a major issue that we have with the streaming services is the lack of transparency around uh, uh, data. Right. Of course, of course. We're, we're, we're we love transparency, folks. We love it. We're negotiating. Got to have with, it. Without it, you're lost. We're negotiating with the most sophisticated data companies in the world, and apparently, they don't know how many people watch their shows. They it's can't. Tough. They can't it's tell us. They can't. Well, tell you us know, how you, many we people. all share the passwords. It's not their fault. You know. So yeah, unfortunately, Netflix. Um, they have no idea uh, how many people watch their shows, so they can't pay us based on performance there's no Mm. metric of success for Mm -hmm. any of these shows their products um which uh we are calling bullshit on in these negotiations and saying you have to provide us some standard for measurement we have Mm -hmm. to know how many people watch these shows how can we possibly negotiate a fair contract without knowing how many people watch what Mm. the other thing that i uh, learned recently, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, uh, and maybe this is getting too far into the weeds, but I, I, I don't know, this is our chance to like geek out about this shit, so I apologize to our listeners if you're all, uh, you know, your, your ears are glazing over or whatever, uh, but the way it works with an actor, so you get paid a certain upfront, you know, uh, income for getting booked on a, on a show or a film, uh, and then um, presumably you have an agent, a, a representative, mm-hmm. uh, who takes a cut of that payment because that's their job yes. and that's how they get paid. Um, uh, but they normally take a cut of of that initial payment. The rep or the agent doesn't get a, a percentage of residuals. Residuals are only earned later on in just the form of like a check to the to the actor. Um, but when you do the wage invasion thing, your residual, that advanced residual thing gets lumped in as part of like, they don't, they the don't, yeah, like the, the fee exactly. So your rep, your agent, instead of getting, instead of taking his or her cut from the 30 K that's your actual fee and the 20 K is your quote unquote residual part, they'll take their cut out of the 50 K. Yes. So they're basically cutting into your residual advance that normally in the previous you know system they would not be getting a cut of. Correct. Um, so that seems wrong. The other, the other completely bogus thing about this data transparency thing, I mean, it, it, it's a total fraud. Again, we're negotiating with like the most sophisticated data companies in the world. But as we know... Um, Netflix and and Hulu and Peacock, all these services, now have ad-supported tiers of membership. So there is no way that these companies are selling ads. There are no way. <laughs> they are no. There's no way you, Netflix. You need, a, you need numbers to get the, to set the rate, don't you? There is no way Netflix is going to Gillette or whatever you know <laughs> uh, commercial partner. They have running ads and saying... Mitsubishi Gallant. The all-new Gallant brings thoughtful details to every corner of its cabin. These are a few of my favorite things. Twin cup holders for driver and passenger. Extra storage under the armrest. A rear seat that folds down. Brown paper packages tied up with... Even the trunk has a trunk in the all-new Gallant. 
Mitsubishi, the new thinking in automobiles. We have no idea how many people watch The Watcher, but you should probably put your uh, your your razor ads on this show. Yeah, it's like total. It's total nonsense. Yeah, no, no trust. No. So we get like it's Netflix. Like a ton of people watch it. Like we don't. You know, it's like a lot. Yeah, like it's yeah. Netflix. Everyone knows Netflix. Yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. Um, yeah, it's preposterous. And then. Um, yeah, the other big thing, I mean, is is uh, is AI. I don't know when you want to talk about this. Or how yeah, you, obviously, how you, how you I was I was I was going to build up to this, Chris. Okay. Um, now, listen, whenever, you're, whenever as you're, you want to bring it up, you're you're no, this is a good time. But my question to you is, you're a movie star, uh, mm-hmm. which means by definition you seek eternal life through fame and attention. And, uh, you know, creating images of yourself that will be consumed and, and perpetuated and preserved forever, uh, long, long past the death of your physical body. Um, now, AI, Chris, AI, I don't know if, how, how much you know about it, but it is a revolutionary, uh, magical, perhaps even alien technology that, in fact, gives you this power to achieve this dream. Your, your face, Chris, can literally live forever in the metasphere, in 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 the metaverse, and uh, whether it's at your uh, its current age or perhaps even younger, you could be you could literally uh, Benjamin Button yourself and and reverse your age, uh, and that face can be put into as many movies and TV shows as possible. Chris, how is this a bad thing for you as a famous Hollywood movie star? Yeah, so I'll start with the. <laughs> I'll start with the idea. Um, let's 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 take care of the little guy first. So, the uh, the AMPTP offered what they called a historic proposal to us on AI. So their 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 groundbreaking AI proposal was this: they proposed that our background performers, so thirty two thousand people, should be able to be scanned, get one day's pay. And the AMPTP company should own that scan, their image, their likeness. They should be able to use that for the rest of eternity on any project they want without consent or compensation. <laughs> so, frankly, like, uh, I mean, if you think that's groundbreaking, <laughs> like, the only thing that's groundbreaking about that is that we've never had a deal on artificial intelligence. But it is, like, historically bad. Like, it is a historically bad idea. This would be literally obliterating the jobs of over 30,000 people in our union. Yeah, because that, um, and again like and you like to many be clear, of they would, uh, they would be able to use their images after they were dead. Yeah, and that's as, my favorite as, part. Is it even if as, the person uh, dies? <laughs> as an actor Sarah Ramos said, at that point it would literally just be cheaper for them to kill us. Yeah. Our proposals around AI were structured around consent informed consent, more importantly, um, and compensation. And in addition to what Duncan shared about their first proposal um, for regarding background actors, they also had language in there saying that if a performer is dead, then they can use their digital replica for free as long as they want. And it literally made it so it would be cheaper for them to kill all of us, to like scan us and murder us and then use our digital replicas. And she was like, well, they, it wouldn't be, they wouldn't necessarily go out of their way to kill us, but it would just incentivize them to kill us. us. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh, God, you have to laugh because it's like that. I mean, I've been marveling at AI bullshit for a while now. And I'm and, but like this is like the most cartoonishly like they're literally just like just trying to erase humanity. Like there's not it's not a it's not a, a hyperbolic way to put it. Like they're like, we just yeah. want a, a few faces and that's all we need. Then we just have a computer. Like, that's... I don't know. I, I just, like... Again, I forget... If, I don't know if we were talking or recording at this when we were discussing this earlier, but, like, just the idea of anyone thinking that that proposal would be tenable or, like, accepted, just, like, obviously you're greedy and craven and crazy, but, like... At a certain point, there has to be like a level of like, of of again, even like just like ghoulish like self interest and self preservation, where you would realize like that's obviously like not going to happen. Like, why even propose that? Like, you're hurting yourself by even like pu- like making yeah. that proposal public for people to be like. It's so the reason they the reason they proposed that is because they had no they had no intention of negotiating with us. Yeah. Yeah. The reason the reason that they proposed that and the reason they stonewalled us on every basic issue yeah. is that here's a spoiler alert Ben like they don't um, want a deal. They want to strike. They yeah. want us to strike. Yeah. Do you know why? Because all of these companies are bleeding money left and right as you know being in the media business like uh media is collapsing and uh here's a great idea. How about we just cease film and TV production and so we don't have any expenses and we just keep subscribers paying us every month and we just roll out the content that we have banked. That's a great way to reset your books if you are a company that's been hemorrhaging money (laughs) because you overspent on ESPN or you overspent on Disney CNN plus uh, <laughs> CNN plus or you overspent Quibi. on or or and ABC news is no longer profitable oh my god you know, dude you know or or you overspent buying the FX catalog or whatever the fuck um so my my hunch my strong suspicion is that the actors and the writers are basically being used as props to carry water for executives who made bad deals. And we are basically striking, yes, because we want a fair shake and a better deal, but the reason we're really striking is because these executives need us to strike. They need us Mm. to not be working so they can get their books in order and they can go back to their shareholders and say, look, we had actually had a profitable quarter. We didn't buy, we didn't pay for any um, new TV shows and all of our development deals with all of our writers, those have, have lapsed. So now those are off the books. And um, so, yeah, we're actually now a more valuable company because people haven't stopped subscribing to Netflix. Yeah, because people Plus. forgot to cancel their Hulu subscription and they're still giving us that. Because people are addicted to their shows. Yeah. yeah, so they're, so they're, so they're still collecting their, their fee. So my my hunch is that actually Ben that this is what the tech company the tech companies actually wanted because bottom mm. the bottom line is Jeff Bezos Tim Cook like they're these streaming TV 
<laughs> services are like a pet project for them. Yeah. This is not the core of their business, but it is the core of the business for NBCU. It is the core of the... Viacom is just a media company. NBC is just a media company. Um, so there are fissures, I think, within the AMPTP. There are sort of the, the new... Um, world companies, which are tech giants, and they are happy to wait this thing out. And then there are some other companies, which are traditional legacy media companies. You know, the comp- frankly, NBC, you know, the company that makes Law & Order, they're like, we we can't be out of business for a year. Like, we, right. will, we will just fold. Like, like, and then do you know what will happen when when they fold? You know who will swoop in and just buy their assets? Yeah. The tech companies. Yeah. So I do think it is actually the long-term strategy of companies like Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft. I'm sure if Google doesn't have a streaming platform, they will, you know, in a year. And so will Facebook. Is to actually allow these legacy media companies to bankrupt themselves, to set themselves on fire. And then they can swoop in and buy their assets. And basically... Remake TV. Wow. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I don't know if it fully, if that all fully uh, hit me and dawned on me until just now. Um, I've I've said it like this. Like, to me, this is Amazon watching Borders Books light itself on fire. And right. they're like, yeah, yeah. You know, these, these greedy uh, authors, they're, they, they want too much money for their books. Yeah, yeah, fuck them. Like... Yeah, no, just say you're not going to sell their books. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, let them strike. And then before long, Borders Books is actually out of business. And then who swoops in and buys Borders Books but Amazon? And then suddenly they have a monopoly on book retail. Right, 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 right. I guess the thing that I still, like, don't understand is that the AMPTP is not just Amazon, but also, like, Correct. movie studios and NBC. So it's, like, they're not all, like, a complete monolith. Yeah. And yet, I mean, Some like, of them are really incentivized to get a deal done. So I think they're... Yeah. If there's one... Like, some of them sliver, do want to survive and yes, not just work for Jeff Bezos. If there is any sliver of hope, I think it is... Can maybe can maybe the actors and writers come to some interim, not interim, come to an agreement with the legacy media companies. Basically, Mm. if the legacy media companies just say, hey, look, we can't afford to be out of business for a year or two years, like Netflix and Hulu and and, and Max, HBO Max and um, Amazon and Apple can, because they are functionally basically banks. but Max is a fucking shit show too. Like they're yeah, Max is a shit show. they're like erasing like half their libraries from yes. like streaming like and canceling shows that have already been shot and edited and like yeah. I shouldn't I shouldn't lump Max into the um, financially solvent companies. Yeah, I don't um, know, but I mean, there's I feel like it's but there yeah. are companies that are incentivized. You're right to like get something done. Yeah. So, we'll so do. you've also been to try to like pivot to something more hopefully encouraging and positive you've been out on those uh those picket lines pounding that pavement quite a bit yeah um what's yeah. what's it like out there what's the vibe uh where yeah, have you I'll, been I'll, I'll be honest with you like um 
it's incredibly empowering. I've been really engaging in the union. I decided I went to a membership meeting in New York and a few months ago, and uh, it occurred to me that we really needed some like new young blood um, in elected positions. So I decided that I was going to run for like a very low rung um, position, which is called a convention delegate. And it's kind of like being like a junior, like local congressperson where you sort of get to, pro- the, the job is essentially, you get to propose some ideas and like higher ups above me get to vote on these things. Swish uh, FM is going to Washington, folks. Yeah. You heard it here. Yeah, this yeah, is where yeah. it started. Yeah. Uh, How does shit, it build become a lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, that's like, honestly, I d- though, like, that's amazing. Like, whatever happens, obviously, like, you know, where I... Yeah, I... I, I my allegiance I, support stands. I think there's, like, 0% chance that I will win, but it's been a really <clears throat> invigorating... You don't know that, I don't right? Know. I, it's been really invigorating just being involved and learning and hearing more about our contracts and meeting people. It's been Hell very yeah. cathartic and empowering being on the picket lines has been very empowering and fun um, and important. It's like, it's important to be visible and you start sort of understanding your connection to a larger story uh, in this country and the world, but of, mm-hmm. of, of labor mm-hmm. that like, it's actually not okay to just sit there and take it. Like the bottom line is, we are we are now, like I said before, we're like fighting for the future of our profession. And this is frankly a, a profession like I love. I told you I've been doing this since I was eight years old. Yeah. And, you know, it can be really empowering be out on, being out on the, on, on the picket lines, but also like I was down in Manhattan yesterday and uh, we were picketing in front of 30 Rock and it can also be really hard, man, because I, I love this job. Like that's the, I hate, I hate to admit it. I don't love, I don't love this job when I'm exploited. I don't love this job when I'm working harder than ever to make ends meet. I don't love this job. I I heard from someone the other day who said she booked 13 speaking roles on film and TV, co-stars, guest stars, on streamers, 13 roles in the past year and still did not meet the $26,000 threshold for insurance. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> 13 is It's a lot. Insane. That's, that's, like a really, you, that's a highly successful person. That's like, a highly what's successful your, person. Like, I, I don't know, like, what's, what's your batting average? Like... Like I imagine, I had a really good year, man. I you had, had a good uh, year, but like an average, like you auditioned to like a lot of stuff. Like out of oh, a, yeah. like in a normal year, like how many jobs do you get versus auditions you go out for? Like I don't know. I can um, in a year, I can sometimes audition for a hundred jobs, seventy-five jobs, TV, film, and TV things, and I might book one, and that could be a really good year. <laughs> Yeah. Um, 13 you know, is insane. 13 I sh- is like, I, I, I should stress, gelato, I should stress like people, times. myself included, can go years without work. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's a normal, that's a normal thing. And it's not a reflection of talent. It's just often a reflection of like, 
hey, you know, John Hamm, sorry, like you'll you'll work once you look 40, but you do not look 40 right now or or whatever the case or like the script isn't right or things are happening in your life, whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, so to book 13 jobs in a year is like truly like you are you are in the 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 jordan zone like you are like you are cooking you are like on a heater if you if you book 13 jobs in a year speaking roles guest stars and co-stars and to not make to to work on 13 streaming tv shows in a speaking capacity and still not make twenty six thousand dollars is like yeah something's something's broken something's definitely fucked up in that model like yeah um yeah yeah. so um it's like i was saying it's uh it's invigorating being on the pickets but at the same time also it's like really hard because i love i love the job i don't like the job i love the job yeah you'd rather be acting it turns out yeah someone my age like you don't you don't keep doing this for this long for any other reason other than belief, faith, and love, you know, because there are easier ways to make money, like much easier ways to make money. <laughs> like if if money was the objective here, I could have found jobs that I could do fine. Which is weird because you would think this the same thoughts would go through the C, the minds of the CEOs of studios and streaming platforms, like. It's like they literally just want to make money, so why not do something other than make art? Like, wh- like that's the thing that is so infuriating and maddening to me is like... Yeah, I think a lot of it is... <sighs> yeah, you just kind of the, hit the nail on the head. A lot of these people don't have a background in, like, art, art making. Yeah, you do. Know? There's like, a million other industries you can go into to just a lot fucking of these be a robot coming from push like numbers management. around. A lot of it's a lot of like management consultants yeah. who are now running TV studios, or, or it's tech, tech, it's Silicon Valley like tech people, and I think that that's like the the dissonance that's happening is like, oh, we are now being managed like we're pieces of tech. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, you're gig workers. Yeah, we're gig workers. Um, I mean, you know you know, this is no disrespect to that, to that business, but like these people are trying to turn film and TV acting, film and TV writing into being a Lyft driver or an Uber driver where it's just a gig. And, um, 20 years ago, it was actually a profession where you could book a couple national commercials. You could book a couple big TV shows and you could make enough money to at least qualify for your health insurance. And the model of broadcasting TV and sharing stuff has changed so much and it's getting more and more fucked every day. I don't, I don't want to bore you or our audience too much, but I'll just share this Netflix, um, in our contracts, you know, there there's, there's what I'll call like terrestrial TV. That's sort of one, classification of of companies that pay us residuals then there are companies that are called svod which is streaming video on demand which Mm -hmm. is netflix you know streaming services Mm -hmm. then there's avod which is ad supported video on demand which is like netflix with uh commercials or peacock to be whatever but then not to be 
Then there's another classification of company called Fast, and that is free ad-supported TV. That's Tubi. That is... That is Amazon Freebie. That is Tubi. There's so there's many. I feel like every fucking day I like right. look for a movie. Then there's like some new turns out there's platform like that free... pops up, and I'm just yeah. like, what is, awesome, is this real? Right? Is this a, is this like a pop up ad? Is this a scam? Dude. Is this awesome. going to give my computer a virus? What is Freebie on Amazon? Freebie offers a selection of digital movies and TV shows for no additional cost. Freebie is a free, ad-supported video streaming service available in the United States and U.S. territories. You can access the Freebie app on the following devices, Fire TV, Roku, Xbox One, Xbox I get to Series watch TV for consoles. free, just have to like mute some commercials. Yeah. And it sounds good, right? But here's the catch, is that our content, the actors and writers, our content is we are granted residuals for each one of these classifications of companies. And basically the best one is just old school TV Mm. streaming video on demand is not great, but like it's where we're at. Ad supported video on demand is really bad in terms of residual payments, like cents on the dollar Mm -hmm. free ad supported TV Actors make literally zero (laughs) dollars and cents on that content. To give you uh, some perspective on this, during the pandemic, I mean, I laugh because it's like Kelly and I, Kelly and I watched Kelly and I watched uh, the entirety of Mad Men during the pandemic, and we watched it on Amazon Freebie, and it was great. We just had to mute, like I said, just mute the commercials. Yeah, we got to watch the whole thing for free. John Hamm made zero dollars and zero cents from us watching the entirety of that tv show it's awesome that's great and uh it's incredibly fucked and like i said it's it is the tech companies basically hoping to reinvent tv like the tv wheel yeah like yeah i mean why not if they if they can get away with it why not try it but it seems like they can't because uh yeah, we're giving we're gonna give like, up some hell. We're pushing. Luckily, back. unions exist. Luckily, there is real power and strength in numbers and solidarity. Yes. And, and here's the thing that the tech companies and the CEOs take for granted. Take for granted. Actors are built for this. Yeah, I was gonna say they kind of fucked up by picking a fight with a bunch of people who are really good at talking and convincing people of things. Yes, and take it a step further. Ben, 87% of our union does not make $26,000 from TV income. Right. We are fundamentally a collective of people who are professional jugglers. We all have multiple jobs. Yeah. So they're like, guess what? You're not going to be able to work on film and TV this year. And we're all like... Yeah, guess what? Oh, we're great. Working now I can actually tell jobs. my second and third job, like, oh, I'm available this week, so I yeah. can make more money probably this year than I ever did before. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, so what they miscalculated is that we are not all Brad Pitt. We are not all Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Aniston. Like, most of us are actually pretty middle-class people 
and we've been bending over backwards just to be in this business to begin with. Just to be someone that's auditioning for roles um, for the last 15, 20 years, you have to have multiple jobs. You have to make ends meet. and um, You have to have that so dog for, in you. Yeah, so for most of us, the idea that we won't be auditioning and there won't be film and TV production while it's really hard and it sucks. It's something we're actually very equipped for and we're used to. And we are actually very down. We're like, great. So you're saying we won't work for a month, three months, six months, a year, but hopefully at the end of this, we could reshape and reimagine the way this entire industry is potentially compensating us and providing us benefits and offering us protections against our digital likeness being um, uh, uh, used against us to replace us. Like, yeah, I'm down. I'm actually down for that. So yeah, we are built for this fight. They do not fucking understand. Actors are the most scrappy, resilient people I've ever met. I've ever met. Yeah, yeah, they can leak out as many fucking sound bites as they want about uh, wanting to starve and uh, put actors like out of their out of their homes. But homes, yeah, uh, yeah, probably not going to happen. Um, so I guess the you know the 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 final question on my mind, Chris, is what does all this mean for our our little project here? Um, I mean, we are still technically a basketball podcast uh i i believe that basketball is a separate industry so we're not you know barred from from talking about that um, yeah we can talk about that but um yeah i mean obviously the rewindables is a, a uh, uh, is a massive hit um it uh it's resonating you know uh we're shooting up the itunes charts uh i believe we're still at number one according and to we love itunes by my, the way my <laughs> metrics itunes charts are the only charts that matter spotify we, we is also say, great <laughs> we want to say thank you to our beautiful partners we love you these tech uh these tech companies that control the podcast rankings we're so grateful for you mm-hmm. and for your platform great platforms and yeah it's just Privileged been tremendous be being in business with uh with all of you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah we're very lucky uh that the uh the audio uh, and music uh business is um completely fine and healthy um, yeah. as in, con- in stark contrast to the uh the hollywood biz um but yeah i mean i don't know if we you know you can either edit this out i don't know depending on i guess we never really landed on a final uh you know answer to this question but the fact is that we have some we have pretty stuff. good I mean, we have, content yeah. uh that we've already we have ice skating movie related content. Yes, that's in redacted the can. ice skating film content, which we really want to share with people because it's really good and not like, you know, uh, stuff that we that we recorded before the the actor strike. Um, I think we just have to release it with the redacted name. Yeah, we might we might just have to do that. Um, and yeah, I and, mean, and 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 if there's too much in there to sort of signal what film we're talking about, whether it's the name of a certain bar, whether it's the name of a, I mean, 
You know, I mean, the nice thing is people know, you know, I think our audience at this point knows the codes. So yeah. when we, when I think we, we could literally gem, use, when we refer yeah. to Jem, <laughs> people know who that character is. Yeah. When we refer to Moira, people know who that character is. We could is. use our Enigma code for the rest of, of this series <laughs> and people would be totally clear uh, about exactly what we were talking about. Um, yeah. The Rosetta Stone, you know, is out there at this point. Um, so it's... Uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to prohibit us too too much. Um, but, you know, obviously, like, we stand in very, very strong solidarity and support and want to, like, um, do everything we can to, to signal to people. Oh, including we should mention, like, if you do want to support... Um, you know, actors and writers who are striking, there are various funds that you can donate yep. to for, you know, emergency, um, you know, uh, kind of um, support funds and so forth, that links to which we can put in the episode description. Um, the Entertainment Community Fund is a great one, entertainmentcommunityfund.org. We'll link that in the uh, in the episode bio. Yeah, and I know that SAG-AFTRA has its own separate one. I think yep. the, I forget, I had it up, pulled up at one point. Um, but um, SAG-AFTRA fund. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll put it all in the description. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so, you know, we, we want to kind of weigh all of our sort of personal convictions and stuff um, with, you know... The content of of our of our podcast here, um, and we don't want to be accused of being scabs, but I don't think that's going to happen, considering we're not promoting new material, uh, yeah. and we are not. I mean, I consider myself an influencer. Um, Let me say on the record right now, I don't want to see a single one of our audience going to the movies to get a ticket for the for the redacted uh, ice skating movie. <laughs> yeah. Do not rent it. Do not go to a movie theater and see it. Um, there are plenty ways to obtain this material uh, without... And we don't want you paying for it. Without paying harder money. I don't know, of course. I would have no I mean, way of knowing. You. Couldn't tell you one way or the other, but I have heard from friends of friends that there are ways right. to obtain content uh online um uh in in ways that will you know um save you from supporting a streaming platform or a uh or a hollywood studio uh if you're interested you i'm sure you could learn more by going to yeah the local library maybe and uh inquiring um yeah so we're gonna move forward i think we're gonna move forward with yeah fuck um, it <laughs> With the project, uh, you can't stop now. We'll we'll have to redact some names. That's yeah. There's there's going to be the extra work for old CW in the edit bay, and um, the show has got to go on. Um, yeah. Real quick, it's the SAG AFTRA Foundation. It's a non for profit. Yes. Yeah, it's a non for profit organization associated with the union, but it's not part of the union, and it's there to provide financial relief to. Many of the unions, uh, 160,000 members via um, the foundation has like an emergency financial assistance program, which can be used to help actors get through the strike. So if you're an actor and you're listening to this and you need some financial assistance, um, reach out. 
Uh, it's the SAG-AFTRA Foundation. Yeah. There's also one for the WGA. Sorry, I'm just searching for it now. Entertainment Community Fund. Oh, is it the one you already mentioned? Yeah. Entertainment okay, Community. so that's the one, I guess, for, for writers. All right. So, yeah. Um, well, listen, dude, I just want to thank you for getting personal, for sharing all of that. Oh, this yeah. is a very you know, special, like, after-school special-type episode of Switch FM. But, like, yeah, in a way, like, obviously this all fucking sucks, but I'm if there is, like, a silver lining, I'm glad it gave us a chance to, you know, just talk as friends and, like, uh, hear, how you're, hear how you're doing, hear a little bit about your life. <laughs> it's weird that, like, we've been, pod, we've been, like, partners and co-hosts on this project for, like, fucking what like five years now or something like that like coming up on yeah. that i think um I know, I know. which is wild and obviously like close friends for long be beyond that but uh but we haven't really like touched base on, uh about life uh in this much yeah. depth like i feel like since like the pandemic happened it's like the last time yeah. we had like just like a check-in episode um yeah. so yeah really appreciate it i hope everyone's still listening sorry that we kind of went up our own assholes but this is actually like pretty important i'd say um you know for (laughs) reasons far beyond our dumb little podcast um so yeah hope you all you know try to get involved try to get educated uh without trying to preach too hard yeah it's uh yeah man we all we all deserve a chance to like have a a decent living yeah. And uh, yeah, not to not to get high and mighty and preachy about this stuff, but like, especially if you're in an industry where the people at the top are reaping uh, gross profits, it's okay to say that this is broken and it's not right. And yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Yeah. All, All right, right, dude. Till next time. See you next week. All right. This has been good. You've been listening to Switch. 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 Swit